Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. One of my favorite dad clips of all time. We could exegete that all week long. Well, happy Father's Day. It is uh, one year after the last Father's Day, and you survived. So give yourselves a hand. That's fantastic. And a donut. What could be better? We are, uh, this is really no small accomplishment, and so uh, we are delighted to be able to uh, spend a little bit of uh, Father's Day uh, with you. So history tells us it was uh, a Saturday afternoon, January 10th, around 49 BC, and a man, he stood in his chariot alongside a river next to overlooking this, he was kind of overlooking this bridge. The river wasn't really a river, it was more of like a muddy stream. It wasn't much to, to talk about or to look at. It was called uh, the Rubicon. And uh, the man was Julius Caesar. And in that day, the fate of the Western world hung in the balance. Hard to imagine it, but it was true. Julius Caesar was a man who was made famous by creating a very delicious salad that we still eat to this day. And uh, that's actually his first claim to fame. Uh, but his second claim to fame was that as a governor of the southern province of the Roman Republic, this is before the empire, the Roman Republic, he uh, was governing modern France, which he had conquered for the Romans. He was a popular military political leader, and he knew that if he crossed the Rubicon, that all things would change, that by crossing it with his army, he would be declaring war on the Roman Republic. So he cried out, the die is cast. And so he knew that once he crossed, the fate was no longer in his hands or in his control. He would be declaring civil war. And so Caesar cried out. He metaphorically rolled the dice. He cracked his whip. He led his horses and his men over the Rubicon and started a five-year civil war that resulted in the end of the Roman Republic, and he was declared dictator for life. What a title. I think plenty in our world today would like that same title. And soon after the Roman Republic dissolved, the Roman Empire emerged, and his son Augustus was serving as its first emperor. So today, if you hear somebody talking about crossing the Rubicon, it means that they have made an irrevocable decision. They have decided to step into a future that is now set for them by forces that are outside of their control. They tell us that uh, Caesar, he thought long and hard about this decision. He talked to his friends and wise counselors, and they spoke of, of history and war 
and empire building and legacy and whether or not history would remember him for what he was about to do. Caesar thought deeply and he ultimately decided that though there would be no certainty with it, that he would certainly cross and there would be no turning back. In fact, there would be no way to turn back because once he crossed, he would now become an enemy of the state. He would be on the senator's most wanted list. And Caesar, in that moment, he irrevocably committed himself to building a fierce and a terrible empire. So, we use that phrase even to this day. What Rubicon are you willing to cross to build what you were meant to build? Jesus, he regularly challenged his followers. He would, in a sense, draw lines in the sand. He would call us to cross a Rubicon in order to build the kingdom of God. When we look throughout the scriptures, he was constantly calling us into these challenging decisions to do these incredible things. And are we listening to that challenge? And then, of course, how will we respond to that call? You know, there are so many things happening in our world today. There are so many challenges and there's just so much busyness that it's very, very easy for us to build and 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 never actually to stop and ask, am I building what I ought to be building? You know, the, 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 the question is important for us to say, man, here, you're, you're building something, you're committed. Fathers, you, you've committed yourself to building a family Everyone here has this idea of, of something that we are going to go and do and be a part of and build, but have we stopped and asked, are we building what we ought to be building? What are you spending your life building? I mean, are we still wrapped up in, in the values of the world? Are we saying what we really need is to get that bigger house and we got to get into that right neighborhood? Are we still committed to saying, you know what, it's time to, to you know, my lifestyle and my salary, time, time to upgrade and, and get into a new vehicle. And, and you know what, if I could just make that, that, that quota, then I, then I have a whole new thing of opportunities. If I could just hit that promotion, then oh, is this the only thing? Is that in our, in our best moments, is that the best that we can dream? Maybe you'd say, no, 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 I want a successful family. I want a, you know, husbands, you want a, you want a happy wife. Yeah, I get it. This is important. Are you, what's your end game? A lazy retirement? You dream of making a difference. A difference in this world and a difference that will last into the next world. Most of us, want a legacy. We want to we cast that die. We want to cross the Rubicon and we want to matter. We want to build something great with our, with our few short years here on earth. The Roman Empire had stood for hundreds of years. It, it, it actually accomplished some incredible things. It built great things. And it also did many horrible things. What are you building? 
We want to build something that matters. We want to build something that outlasts us. And most every man that I have met somewhere in there longs to build something that matters. There are so many challenges and there are so many threats out there today. We've got you know, inflation running rampant. There's job insecurity for many people. There are global diseases which just keep on, on rolling in. There is a, all of this changing cultural values that leads to this sort of disequilibrium in, in what we're supposed to be doing and how we're even supposed to be, to be fighting this fight. I mean, it's just so many challenges. There's, there's, there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my there's this sense of, of doom and foreboding in the scary world that is out there. There's actually a dad, he took his kid to the zoo. And uh, there were tigers there. And the dad decided to explain to the son just how ferocious tigers can be. And, and how, you know, if the tiger was out in the wild, if it, could, it could eat a man. That's how ferocious. Because, uh, you know, dads, we always think these things through before we, we, we do them or talk about them. And so the little kid, he's got wide eyes, and he's thinking and, and kind of going over this. And he says, Dad, he says, uh, if the tiger got out and ate you, and there was a pause, and the dad, he starts to think. He's like, oh, what was I doing? I hadn't thought of it. Now I'm going to have to console my son and tell him, you know, oh, don't worry, that won't happen. And the kid says, Dad, if, if the tiger got out and ate you, what bus do I take home? <laughs> Even at this young age, the boy's trying to, still trying to figure out how to get things done. The Bible tells the story of a man that was called to build, a man named Noah. And in the days of Noah, it was a, it was a tough scene. There were millions of people who had spread across the face of the earth. But they had turned away from God, and they pursued every kind of wickedness. We're told that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination, look at that, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And we think we have problems today. We look at the world today, we look at what's going on in society. We get overwhelmed sometimes, and we look at it, and we go, oh, my goodness, what is going to happen, and, and, and what am I going to do, and how can, I, how can I do what God wants me to do in this day and age? And look, at every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, but it gets worse than that. Then it says, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. This is a frightening turn of events. In the narrative, we saw something like this could be coming because things were getting worse and worse and worse ever since the garden. When we broke the thing, all of a sudden we see all of this wickedness spreading over the, the planet and then the worst possible moment we hear, for I regret that I have made them. To have the regret of God over all of humanity. God had had enough. He saw that if he didn't do something, all humanity would be lost. 
we would devolve into a hopeless and an oppressive people. You can imagine what a world would look like with no rule of law, where, where might makes right, where evil is rampant. Humanity was, was in, this, in deep trouble. We were destroying ourselves. And the text tells us that there were these nefarious spiritual forces at work that were trying to destroy our future as well. And then worst of all, God regretted making us. It's easy to think of the horrors of the flood story. Countless millions dead and earth destroyed. But at its heart, it is a love story. And it is a fierce one at that. The story of a God who had run out of options, who loved humanity so much that he was willing to do the unthinkable to save at least a few who would rebuild it better for the good of countless to come later. So God went looking for a builder, a man of great courage who would do something about it, and God found that man in Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I love this. This is like how, to live with such a giant butt in front of you is amazing. Like, but Noah. You think about this. So often when you come across this idea, it's heading in the wrong direction. But, you know, people use it. They're like, but. But this time, this is incredibly good news. Because whenever things look bleak, and when society unravels, when families are against the ropes, God calls courageous men to take bold action. And God has always done this. The people in history were being harassed by raiders and plunderers. But Samson came and rescued them. The, the, God's people found themselves enslaved by a tyrant. The people had lost hope. But Moses stepped up to bat. There was a, a giant hulking warrior who mocked and threatened God's people. But David... False teachers and prophets were leading the people astray, but Elijah. The world was pressing the people to abandon God's ways, his principles, and they were, and they were threatening them with lions. But Daniel. Over and over we see this. The story of the Bible is filled with these moments where God says, but John, and, and, and but Paul, and, and but Mike, but Justin, God calls his people out when the world was hopelessly corrupt. God regretted making humanity but Noah. And for Noah, this meant he was going to have to build a really big boat. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. This was no job for the faint of heart. It was a boat larger than a football field. The entire thing was going to be, be sealed with tar with pitch 
to make it waterproof. It needed to withstand torrential rains, tumultuous seas, keep thousands of animals alive for over a year. This was bigger than anything anyone had ever seen and bigger than Noah could have imagined or dreamed. And now Noah had to build it precisely as God described it. And, and I think this, herein, herein lies the risk. Because you might be willing to build something, but are you willing to build what God wants you to build, how God wants you to build it? Right? So many people, we spend our lives building careers, providing for families, but, but are we doing them based on biblical kingdom principles? And are we, are we investing at all in building the kingdom? I mean, surely we, we build our kingdom. We work toward our legacy. But building God's kingdom and doing it God's way, this is the very thing that many men will resist. We furiously build the wrong thing. And when we do it, we actually make things worse. We make things worse. It's a big arc. Yeah, 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 but wait, 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 God. What if I build a speedboat instead? Yeah, that'll, that's even better because then I could get some skis and I could throw some tubes in there. We could have some fun while we're doing it. He's like, I don't know, okay, no, 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 speedboat, that's not going to work. Helicopter, no, no, no place to land. Plane, seaplane, that makes a whole lot of sense. We'll do a seaplane because there's water. It makes perfect sense. We'll do a seaplane. Oh, no, no, wait, no, better yet, a tower. We'll build a tower. We could build a tower that reaches to the skies. That means it'll, it'll, we'll be able to survive in the tower even if the floodwaters come. Even if they come again, we'll be able to... Listen, you might, you might be great at building towers. But if you're building towers while God tells you to build an ark, it's idiotic. Why do we resist? Right? Stubbornness isn't courage. Fighting against God, antagonism against the Almighty makes no sense. We have to fight for what God says matters. We have to build, and we have to build according to the way that God says. And to do this, we need to walk faithfully and blamelessly before God. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This is a powerful testimony. It goes on to tell us that the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Can you imagine having that written on your tombstone? Robert did all the Lord commanded him. Sounds like a life well lived. Rich did all the Lord commanded him. So will we courageously cross this Rubicon and irrevocably commit ourselves to building God's kingdom? Because listen, men, your families need you. Your communities need you. The fatherless need you. This is how it has always been. Your neighborhood, your co-workers, 
They need you. You are not replaceable. That's how God intended it. That's how he designed it. There were some kids and they were clamoring for a pet. They wanted a hamster. And uh, you know how this goes, right? So there's negotiation. And the mom says, I'm not going to get you a hamster. I'm going to get you a hamster. You know what's going to happen. I'm going to be taking care of the hamster. And you guys are going to not even, you're just, and the kids are like, no, 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 mom. We're really going to take care of the hamster. We promise, we promise, we promise. And so she finally gives in. And you know what happened. Two, three weeks in, the kids are really enjoying the hamster, really, you know, taking care of it. They decide to give him a name. They call him Danny. And so, you know, this is great, going fantastic for a week and two weeks and three weeks of the month. Things started changing. By six months, Danny wasn't getting any care whatsoever unless mom took care of the hamster. That's just how often it goes. That's the reality. She knew this was coming six months in, nine months in. She's like, you know what? This is ridiculous. We're done with the hamster. So she calls, little, uh, little, calls the kids together, a little family meeting, and says, listen, it's time for us to get rid of Danny, and we're going to have to get him a new home. This is, I'm just, I'm not willing to do this anymore. And the kids, they're so shocked, and they're like, what? No, but, but what, if he, what if he doesn't make such a mess? Can he stay? And she's like, no. What if he doesn't eat so much? Can he stay? No. But he's been here so long, and the mom's like, it doesn't matter. It is time to get rid of Danny. And the kids go, Danny, we thought you said Daddy. Daddy's not replaceable. We can't get rid of daddy. So will you build what God calls you to build? Jesus, he told us that before he returns, that the days will be like the days of Noah. Very ominous. Days of hardship and risk where everything is on the line. And so will will you be a person of great courage who builds something eternal according to God's plan. Something, because so, if you do, then you're going to have to build, you're going to have to build a boat and it's going to have to be a boat bigger and, and it is going to have to be more seaworthy than anything you had previously imagined. You guys remember, right? Anyone going to the beach soon? Anyone going to the beach hopefully in the next? Remember Jaws? Brody, three tons, 25-footer, first time they see Jaws. What does he say? You're going to need a bigger boat. Listen, you're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a boat that is going to weather the storms, that's going to lift humanity above the destruction that, that God will use to, re, to protect and to rebuild and to save. And he is calling you to be a part of building that boat. And not just for your family, but for the family of God and for, for the many who are still out there looking for their Savior. Will you build that boat? What about for those who are bearing the weight of injustice in this world? Will you help build that boat? We have hints of what this boat looks like all along. I'm going to, it's Father's Day, so I'm going to give myself a gift and I'm going to geek out for just a moment here. And so just if, if you don't enjoy it when I kind of get nerdy like this, then, then cool, then just you got a couple minutes so you can zone out. But check this out. So Enoch, great, great grandfather, the great grandfather of Noah, father of Methuselah, grandfather, great-grandfather of Noah. Enoch is an interesting character because Enoch in the story, he says, it says that he walked with God, 
and then he poofs, he disappears. He's one of only two people in the whole of the Bible that actually never died. They just went to go be with God. And it's, a, it's fascinating. It's a whole cool story, backstory, impossible future story, and all of that as well. But this is pretty amazing. Enoch, but here's what's really cool about Enoch. He has a son that he names Methuselah. Now, Methuselah, if you do the math, the, the text is very clear to give you all the numbers of how long they lived and when they, when they had their kids and all of this kind of a thing. And if you do the math, you find out that Methuselah lived until the day of the flood. He died shortly before the flood water started coming on the earth. And you show a lot of people. And what else do we know about Methuselah? This is Bible Trivia Day. I know, I know Sunday school kids are going to know this one. But, but what, what do we know about Methuselah? Oldest guy in the Bible. 969 years old. And people look at and they go, oh my goodness, how do they live that old? And I think we're asking the wrong questions when we get to it. Why are we given so meticulously the ages so that we can figure out that this thing, that this guy actually lived until the very day the flood waters start coming on the earth. Very, what is going on? Why would God give us this? And why would he put Methuselah at 969 years old? Why do we get a guy that's that old leading up to the flood? And so here's the thing. Methuselah, his name is something like the man under javelin. It's an unusual name. And, and, and when the scholars are looking at it, they think that it has something to do with the idea of judgment. So now get this, speculation here, I'm leaving the text a little bit here, so I'm just be clear about when I'm leaving the text. I want Speculation, people say, some scholars have noted, that it seems as if Enoch, who was called a preacher of righteousness, that he was declaring that judgment was coming. It seems as if when he had a child, Methuselah, that he, he knew that Methuselah was somehow tied to the coming judgment. He was, he was told a thousand years before the flood that the judgment was coming. We get this from another part of the scriptures. So why is Methuselah, who represents now the javelin of God, which is a symbol of God's judgment, why does Methuselah live to 969 years old? It's because it's as if the text is trying to tell us in every subtle little way that God is just waiting patiently for the repentance of the people. God is not willing that any should perish. Why is, why is Methuselah? Because when Methuselah dies, the flood is going to come. And so we get this exceedingly long life because the wrath of God, the javelin of God, was going to be, was going to be, be spread over the whole of the planet. And, and here Enoch is preaching about it. And here Methuselah stands as a witness to this coming destruction. And they come along and they have a child who is going to comfort us in this. And he is going to do that by building a boat. So God waits and waits and waits and waits all along while he's giving Methuselah this crazy long life because he's giving people time to repent. Enoch is a, is a preacher of righteousness, letting the world know. Then you have, have, have Noah himself, who for over 100 years is building this boat as a testimony of what is about to happen. A preacher calling people, explaining to them, that, that judgment is inevitable now. And how would they be saved from this coming judgment? Well, they're going to be saved in a boat that's covered with pitch. And, and linguists like to point out that the root that's used in that word for pitch, for tar, just a tiny little thing in the scriptures, right? It's the same root that we get the word atonement from. And so when, 
When, when the writers of the scriptures picked a word that they wanted to explain what would happen when we, we sacrificed the animals in the temple and their blood would cover the sins of the people. This was the, the moment of atonement when our sins would be covered and they cover the ark in atonement. It's as if God was already pointing the way to the greater truth behind the ark. But Jesus. The atonement of Jesus, the better and truer Enoch, the better and truer Noah, the better and truer ark. See, God is calling us to build his kingdom here on earth with blamelessness, with courage, and with an awareness and a responsibility to all of the souls who need to hear the message of God's great patience, of his mercy and of his covering, of his atonement. He's calling us to build a boat covered with this pitch, covered with this tar that will raise the people above their sin and rebellion and carry them safely through to the new Eden. We get it in 1 John. He says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent his son as an ark to lift us above the judgment. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we've got to build God's boat. You know, this takes great courage. When history tells us that Caesar cries out, the die is cast, he knows that these are irrevocable forces that now no one controls. His, his future is now set. And that's very different from our reality. See, we not, we're, we're already told the end of this story. We're already told, but Jesus wins. When you cross your Rubicon, you're not crossing into an uncertain future. You are crossing over into allegiance and into following and serving the king of the universe, the one who will save humanity from ourselves. We're not, we're not randomly casting a die. We're not, we're not leaving it to fate. When I think about this coming season for us as a church and for our island and for New York and for the country and the world, we look around and I say, but to Jesus. And he's calling each and every one of us to be a part of building that kingdom. And I am encouraging, I am asking and pleading with you to make that be a mark of your life. Irrevocably committing yourself to building his kingdom his way. Let's pray. Father, what we need from you is the thing that only you can give us to stir up our hearts in 
the way that the Spirit promises so that we might be blameless in this generation, that we might trust in the work of Christ on the cross, that we might walk in faithfulness and obedience. Lord, there are so many in our world so desperate for your love. Let us be the men and the women that we need to be to give them your hope, to promise them a future, to change the trajectory of their lives for eternity. May we fight the fights that you call us to. Lord, I'm praying that you would give us the courage found only in Christ, knowing full well the victory is already ours. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.